0: It is good to be with you this morning and we're going to continue our study in, in Romans but I wanted to make a little comment before we get started and kind of give away part of where I'm going this morning. Um, in the passage that we're going to read this morning and study in Romans 1, 8 through 15, it talks a little bit about spiritual gifts and just thankful that we have spiritual gifts in this church um, that, and they're willing to use them. Um, you know, this morning I walked in and I know I already knew Nathan wasn't gonna be here and that's one of our song leaders. Then I saw, well, Drew's not here. So I'm thankful Brother Nicholas was here. <laughs> because it is it's really difficult to lead a whole song service and then get up and preach and have all of that on your mind and, and not really be able to focus on, on what you're about to do. So very thankful. I, I've always said about song leaders it's really and, and, and I'm not taking away from the talent that it takes to do it, but it's really seventy five percent courage. And 25% ability is just being able to get up in front of people and and be willing to do that. So very appreciative of that and that both of those young men are willing to to help out in the house of God and, and lead singing and all the other spiritual gifts in the church. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. So the title of the message this morning is The Debtor's Desire. The Debtor's Desire. And I'm going to read for you. Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll, we'll dive into our message this morning. Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers making request, if by any means now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you But was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also." So that's our passage this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and just pray for His Holy Spirit to be here with us this morning and and help you here and and me to to speak from this passage of Scripture. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for each one who's here in your house this morning. We thank you for your Word, uh, for the truth that we find in it, uh, that we can uh, turn to your Word uh, for guidance. Uh, that is our only ultimate source of truth in a fallen world. Uh, We thank you that uh, we can meet together in a corporate way to open your word and learn from you. Uh, We pray that you would give us open hearts, that you would open our ears and our hearts to understand the things that you would have for us out of your word today. Uh, We ask that when we go from this place that we would be changed in some way, being more conformed to the image of your son. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, the debtor's desire, uh, we're going to first go back and just kind of, it's been a little while since we were in the first part of this chapter, so we'll go back and and look at that very briefly. Remember Romans, we said, has been considered to be probably the greatest and most comprehensive presentation of Christianity and Christian doctrine ever written, and could be likely and, and is the most important letter ever written. It was written by the Apostle Paul from Corinth about 57 AD, and it's the longest epistle that Paul wrote. Um, And it's not addressed to the church at Rome, but rather to to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So Paul describes himself in verse 1 as the servant of Jesus Christ, and that he was called to be an apostle or set apart for the gospel of God. So last time we talked about the gospel promised, how that Paul basically tells them that this gospel that I'm preaching to you is something that was promised in the Old Testament. This is not something new. Uh, he's like, this is not a new religion. This is not some, something new that Paul's making up or that's Paul's doctrine or Paul's gospel. But this is the gospel that is the fulfillment of Old Testament promises. And so Paul makes sure to, to make that clear in the beginning. He also talks a little bit about the subject of the gospel, about Jesus Christ, who is the great subject of of the gospel and he talks about the humanity of Christ that he's a descendant of David he was born a descendant of David according to the flesh and by saying that he was really saying two things at the same time number one he was born uh, which is amazing and that he had work to do that he was he had a purpose in coming and that he was also um, divine in nature the deity of of Christ, That he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So we talked about how that when Christ came out of the tomb, that was that was proof perfect that he was the son of God. He was who he said he was. So we talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that he was declared to be the son of God with power through that resurrection. And then we went on to talk about the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. Paul says in verse five, "By whom we have received grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all nations, for His name." You could really say that that phrase is a purpose statement for Paul in his life. Uh, that let me read it again: "By whom we have received grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith." among all nations for his name. So that's kind of Paul's purpose statement. And that's really, that statement is what he's going to really unpack now as we go in to Romans 8 through 15. He's going to unpack that a little bit about what that means when he says that he's received grace from the Lord and apostleship. So he talks really about two kinds of grace, grace personally that Paul received and that he was saved, uh, saved by grace, and also grace in that he was called to be an apostle, or as he said earlier in the chapter, he was set apart as an apostle. That it was the grace of God that set him apart as an apostle. So then what does that mean as far as the obedience to the faith among all nations for his name? And so that's what he's going to unpack a little bit this morning as we get into this. So we're calling this the debtor's desire. Now who, who are we talking about when we say the debtor? Well when we say that we're talking about Paul himself because on down in our passage uh, you'll see where he says in verse 14 I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians both to the wise and to the unwise. So Paul calls himself a debtor and what he's really talking about in this whole passage is his desire. What God has put on his heart like we said his mission statement you could say for his life is what we want to talk about. So the debtor's Desire Now, the first thing we want to look at is in verse 8, is Paul's thankfulness. So number one, point number one this morning is Paul's thankfulness in verse 8. So he says, first, first, he said, I want to get this out of the way first. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So Paul is showing that he is thankful for these Christians that are in Rome and the first, way, the first way that he shows uh, thankful for, thankfulness for them is he said, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being pro- proclaimed throughout the whole world. Now, we're going to kind of unpack that little statement into three, three parts. First, Paul tells them he's thankful for them. So we can just stop there. So Paul is thankful that there's believers in Rome. So I would say this. Are we thankful that there's believers in Faulkner, Mississippi? Are we thankful for that? Um, God has called out the people that are here this morning out of darkness into his marvelous light. We ought to be thankful to God for that. For every conversion that we see, for everyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, we ought to give thanks to God for that because that's who who does all that work. And then we're going to get to that. He's going to unpack that a little more. But he's just thankful for them. Um, I think in the church especially, that applies kind of on a double measure, is that we should be thankful for our, our fellow church members. But remember now, this is Paul writing to people who he's never met. Isn't that interesting? So Paul says, I am thankful for all of you in Rome who are believers. I've never met you. I don't know who you are. <laughs> I don't know anything about you. he He doesn't know what they do for a living. He doesn't know if they're, they're hobbies. He doesn't know anything about their life other than one thing. The one thing he knows about them, they're believers in Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that in Rome that now you say, well, what's so amazing about that? Well, think about it this way. Paul went a lot of places and preached the gospel. Paul had not been to Rome, and yet there's believers in Rome. He, he could have been a little bit jealous about that. You know, well, well how did they hear the gospel? I, I'm, the, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. How did they hear the gospel before I got there? but he's not he's just thankful. I'm thankful that you've heard the message. I'm I'm thankful that you've heard the gospel and that you've believed in Jesus Christ. So he is thankful for them, for persons of faith, people that have obeyed God out of faith. And and it's not something that he is is hoarding up. He's just thankful that that there are those out there. So in Philippians when Uh, He said that the furtherance of the gospel, that phrase in in Philippians chapter 1, for the furtherance of the gospel, that's what Paul's talking about here, that he's just thankful that there are people out there. So in our day, we could say, aren't we thankful that there's men and women in other states that are believers in Jesus Christ? Aren't we thankful that there's uh, men in Ukraine who have come to the faith of the gospel, in Russia, in China, in places where even they're persecuted for their faith? we're, We're thankful for those people but now second he goes in a little more detail he says i'm just thankful that they're there i'm thankful for them as as people as persons but second he thanks them for he thanks god for them because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world i thank my god through jesus christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world it makes paul happy about what makes Paul happy about this people is that they have faith and that this faith is being seen. So there's, a, you know, there's, something to, there's something to what's going on in Rome that makes this faith evident because Paul says, I'm not only thankful that you're there and that you believe, I'm also thankful that your faith is being heard about among all the nations. So that, that, that faith is going forth. It's a witness. So then that's a little toe-stepper as far as I'm concerned because what that means is that our faith should be the same way. Our faith should be something that other people can see that then they would go other places and say, I'm telling you what, over there in Mississippi, in northeast Mississippi, there's some people who, who believe the gospel, and they have faith, and it's obvious. You know, there's, You can see it in their life. You can see it in the way that they act. You can see it in the way that they share with others. You can see it in the way that they trust in their life in the Lord and all of those things is something that is visible. Now, the answer is uh, so so how is it then that Paul is thankful for this and and why is it that their faith is being proclaimed through the whole world? Well, the answer is is that faith produces something visible which is called the obedience of faith. Paul, when Paul says earlier in this chapter, I told you this is kind of like his mission statement, when he says, I have received grace as an apostle to go and preach the gospel for the obedience of faith among all nations, then this is what he's talking about, to see this kind of result. You know the tree by the fruit. And everywhere where there is true faith, there will be fruit. There will be fruit. So this idea that (coughs) you can be born again and... And not have any fruit of that there's nothing visible to see in that i don't believe that that's true the bible doesn't teach that paul says there's visible fruit and he's thankful for this visible fruit that has then been spread from place to place about the romans so it brings about the obedience of faith among the nation the answer is that faith produces something visible and that's why paul thanks god for these people they became who they are because of god's grace they became the believers they are because of God's work in their life. Is nothing that they can claim. But God be thanked that you were, in, in Romans six seventeen, he says this, God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Now, who does he thank in that passage in Romans 6? Does he say, I'm so thankful that you were the servants of sin, and I'm thankful for you because you chose to leave that behind and be obedient to the gospel, is that, does he thank them for making the right choice? It's not what he says, right? He says, I thank God that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. It is God that made the difference, not them. So they didn't pull themselves out of being servants to sin and begin to serve the gospel. The Romans have nothing to boast in, even though Paul's thankful for them, and I think that's right for him to be, He's not, he's not thankful for them because they've pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps. He's thankful because he sees the evidence of God's grace in their life. That's, that's, you can sum it all up with that statement. Paul says, I'm thankful for you because I see your obedience to the gospel, and that is because of grace. So I'm thankful to God. Paul, Paul in both places, is not thanking the Romans. He's thanking God for them and God's work in their life. Thanks be to God, not to you, but to God, that you became obedient even though you were the slaves of sin. So the, the answer to this is that it is God that works in us. Uh, Paul also said in Ephesians 2, uh, you know the passage very well, 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The faith that we see, the fruit that we see in the life of a believer, we are saved by grace through faith. And that grace of God is a, is a free gift. That's going to be important later on that we understand that. If, if grace is something that you must repay or that you have to earn, it's not grace. Okay? So let's go ahead and establish that now. That will help us later on when we begin to talk about Paul being a debtor and why he is. But grace, we don't, we don't earn grace. There's nothing that we do to merit grace. So if you, if you have to believe and, and kind of reach out with your own faith and grab hold of God, then it's no more of grace. That's a work. Uh, Now, there's a lot of disagreement about that, and and I understand that. But to me, very simple. If I do anything that contributes to my salvation, then it's no more of grace. It has to be partially of works and partially of grace. And the, the scriptures are clear that salvation is by grace through faith. And so when Paul is thanking, he doesn't thank the Romans. He thanks God for them, for this work that has been done in them that results in their faith that is spoken about throughout the whole world now that's that's a pretty amazing thing to think about that these these christians are here in romans and in rome and and they they are believers and paul says the whole world now do you think that literally meant the whole world this is just a sidetrack and and i probably shouldn't take it but i just can't help it i have to so you know everybody says well you know if you if you read John 3:16 it's pretty clear that God died for everybody in the whole world because it says, you know, for he God who loved the world gave his only begotten son, you know that um that he died for the whole world. They use that word world. So do you think that the Romans were being spoken about in the whole world? Is that what he meant here? No, it just means a lot uh, in, in a lot of different peoples that they're spoken about in other places. So that word uh, is used a whole lot of different ways in the scriptures. Don't ever let that trip you up. Uh, that that word You know, I've been really doing a little research on this lately. It's really interesting. The King James Bible, I'll just go ahead and tell you, some of our people in the past have been. really believed that the King James Version itself was divinely inspired. I don't believe that. I believe the original texts were divinely inspired, and the King James Version is a translation. Here's why that's important. There's a lot of studies going on in the last five to ten years about that, and really, honestly, the truth is that the King James Version because our language has changed so much in the past however many years, 400 years uh, since that was translated, that it's really becoming difficult in some places. I'll give you one example, the word let. The word let in English at that time really had a hindering effect to it. Okay, So the word that's translated let was really more of a hindrance. Now what does it mean if we let someone do something? That means you kind of allowing, right? It's almost completely opposite that's just one example so we have to be careful and make sure that we understand what the original meaning of texts were and and not just read it in the english and and get off track make sure you go back and study the original languages and 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 make sure that we have a true understanding of what the scripture says sidetrack completely there on just the word world but we're going to move on now secondly so paul first we we hear about paul's thanksgiving in verse 8 secondly we find out what paul's desire is in verses 9 through 13. So, verses 9 through 13, Paul's desire. He says, after he's thanked God for them in verse 8, in verse 9, "...for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers." making a request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. <coughs> For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end you may be established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but, it, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. So we're talking about Paul's desire. What is Paul's desire? He thanks God for them, and now he's going to get into this discussion with them about what Paul's desire is in his ministry, in his personal life, and especially as it relates to the Roman Christians. So remember we said that that basically the mission statement for Paul's life was this, verse up in in the beginning of this chapter where he says that he's received grace and apostleship for the obedience of faith of all peoples, of all nations. So this is Paul's desire for the Romans as well, and this is where he confirms that. Now, I think Paul calls for God to witness this. It's interesting, you know, that phrase there in verse 9, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, That without ceasing I make mention. So, why does he call on God as a witness there? Well, do you know the the personal prayer lives of everybody in this room? (laughs) Would you be able to tell what they've been praying about, even secretly within their spirit? Well, Paul has been praying constantly for the Roman people, and specifically for one thing, uh, and we'll get to that in just a minute, but specifically for one thing um, that he might come to them. But he says i'm I'm calling on God as my witness because this is something no one would know except God because this is something I've just been praying about in my spirit uh, that I want uh, that I've been praying for you. I mention you unceasingly in my prayers. So how does what is it that he's wanting for the Romans? And this is really interesting. He says the thing that I want the most for the Romans is that I could go to them, that I can go and be there with them. And if you know what eventually happens, Paul eventually does get that request right now it's through some some pretty crazy circumstances and and he prays here for a prosperous journey so you know sometimes God doesn't answer prayers in the ways that we want it he he ends up in the ocean you know <laughs> he ends up doing you know it's it's not a God didn't send a 747 and fly him over there I'll just put it that way there was a a winding road that Paul took to eventually get to go to Rome And it's not under the best of circumstances. He's not invited as a guest speaker. He goes as a prisoner. And he goes uh, as someone who is incarcerated. So uh, not not exactly how Paul probably would have planned that out for himself, but God's sovereign over all those things. And now this is something that I believe is really important, kind of a side note to this passage that I'm going to take just a minute to, to talk to you about. When Paul says, I desire to go, but there's been some times where You know, he says in this passage, I've been let hitherto, I've been hindered. It's not happened. I I want it. I've asked God for it. I want to go to the Romans. I want to preach to them. I want to impart some spiritual gift to them, and I want them to be able to encourage me as well with their spiritual gifts. But God just hasn't allowed that to happen yet. It's not been in his sovereign will. I believe that if God wants his message somewhere, he'll send it, and he'll get the person there. I, I just trust God in that. You know, our people have argued so much over this question about, you know, the extent of the gospel and, you know, does does every child of God hear the gospel or something? I will tell you this I think if God wants to get his message to one of his children, he'll get it there. I just trust God in that. I believe he'll get his message there one way or the other. Now, isn't it interesting that his message is already in Rome, right? He didn't have to send Paul. Paul is writing to believers in Rome. They're already believers there. Now, Paul wants to go and kind of encourage and strengthen and build up and exhort and and build up their faith but but they're already believers they're believers in Jesus Christ so Paul is writing this letter to kind of reinforce the belief that they already have so i just believe that God will sovereignly get and we see that in Paul's case eventually he gets there but it's not in the way that we would imagine so <coughs> Paul's desire then is to go and be with them so what we see is that Paul serves God in his spirit by praying continually that he would be able to, he prays for them and that he would be able to go to Rome and strengthen their faith. So as we look at this, he says in the, the latter part of this, so how is that going to happen? What is that going to look like? So if Paul does make it to Rome, what's his intention when he gets to Rome? So let's look at what he says about that. For I long to see you, in verse 11, that I may impart some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established that is that I may that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. So it's a really interesting passage. Paul says the whole reason that I want to come is because I have a gift as an apostle that I want to share with you. I want to be able to establish you more firmly in the faith. Now, let's be really careful here. These people are believers. They don't need Paul to come and preach the gospel to them as though they've never heard it. They're believers, and I believe they're children of God. They don't need Paul to come to make that happen, right? The message is already there. They're believers, and that settles it, okay? But Paul says there's more, right? There's more that that can be said. There's more, and that's why he writes this letter that we said is probably the greatest single exposition of Christianity and Christian doctrine that's ever been written. He's establishing them further in the faith, I don't know what all the Romans knew. I know one thing, they knew Jesus Christ. I know that because they're called believers. If they didn't know Jesus Christ, they wouldn't be called believers. I know that they believed in him, that he was the son of God, and that he rose from the dead. There's some certain things that I know that they know because Paul calls them true believers. And they wouldn't be true believers if they didn't know those things. Now, did, did the Romans have a full understanding of election and predestination? I don't know. I don't know. I do know Paul tells them. <laughs> He writes this letter to him and he explains it in a way that he doesn't explain it in any other letter that he writes to any other church. I know that he explains justification by faith in a way that he doesn't really in any of his other letters. He goes into some of these deep doctrines with them in a way to establish them in those things. But I don't know <coughs> what they do at this point and what they didn't. But Paul's desire is to go to them, so that he can use the spiritual gift that he's been given to the end that they may be established. And then he adds on the end that I may be comforted together with you because if you're believers, you have gifts as well, and your faith will then comfort me. So there's a mutual edification that takes place between the two. I think that's really important. You know, At first, Paul says, hey, I'm coming to you, and I'm going to impart some spiritual gifts to you, and you're going to be blessed by my coming. Is that all he said? (laughs) That's not where he ended it, though, right? I I, I can tell you this from experience. When I've gone to preach other places, it's always a two way street. I hope that God uses what I say from the Word of God to bless those people. But in almost every case, I walk away feeling like I got more of the blessing than they did by being there with them, witnessing their faith, seeing them worship, having conversations with them about what God's doing in their life. It's a mutual edification that takes place. So, when he says to the end that you may be established, Paul is not saying, well, I, Paul, the great apostle, have got to come and make sure that you're established the right way or we're just going to put up bars of fellowship, right? That's not the, the attitude of the apostle Paul about his visit to Rome. He, he says, I want to come that you just might be established, that you might be built up in the faith, that you might be edified. And by the way, you're going to also edify me in this process. It's going to be a two-way street. So I think that's important for us to see now what is the what is the practical message in that for us well i think it's you know what i mentioned when i first started if you are a believer in jesus christ you're, and you have made a public profession of faith in jesus christ which most of the people in this room have done then i can promise you you have a spiritual gift did you know that i can tell you that by the scriptures you have spiritual gifts that are given to you by the holy spirit indwelling your life you have a spiritual gift now you may not have really found out what that is yet. If you haven't, you need to pray about it, and you need to seek counsel about it. You need to find what your spiritual gift is, and you need to employ it in God's service. That's, that's basically what Paul's saying in his mission statement. Paul's gift was that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was, he was a, a preacher. He was an evangelist. He was all of those things. So his gift was to go, and he was using his gift to establish the church. Well, in the same way, we're to do the same thing. Whatever gift it is that we've been given, we use that to help establish the church, to build it up. And we see that in a lot of different ways in our assembly. Some people's gift um, is different than others. But in, in all, in, no matter what your gift is, we're to be employing those things in service of God. Peter put it like this in 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So here's what's important about that statement is the word stewards. So if you've been given a gift, God has placed you as a steward over that grace in your life. And you're to steward it in the right way. You're to build it up. So what does steward mean? Steward means I'm responsible for it. And God holds me responsible for using it. So I'm to use it in the kingdom of God. We're to be good stewards of the grace of God go back to Paul, what we said was his mission statement. How did that verse start? By whom we have received grace and apostleship. He said, that's that's what I've received of God, grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So Paul says, my spiritual gift is grace that was given to me, that I'm a steward of, and then my my intention with that is the obedience of faith among all nations for God to get the glory for his name. I, when I steward that gift well, I don't even get credit for that because it's grace, right? Remember what we said about grace? If, if grace is something that we can boast in, then it's no more grace. So, so grace in our lives, the spiritual gifts that we're given through grace, the grace that's given to us, we're stewards of that grace. And when we, when we employ that in the service of the church, God gets the glory. Isn't that amazing? So where where are we in that equation as far as taking anything from it? We don't get any glory out of any of it, and that's the way it is in salvation as well. It is all by grace, and God gets the glory. So Paul says, "That's my desire that I want to come to you that you might be established, and in that God's going to get all the glory. I'm going to be able to exercise my spiritual gift for you. Your spiritual gifts are going to bless me, and in all of that, God gets the glory. That is Paul's." desire. And he's going to unpack that even more as we go through the book of Romans. But that's kind of the short version here in chapter 1. And now last, we're going to talk about Paul's payment plan. Paul's payment plan. So I don't think that I have to introduce the topic of debt um, in an extreme way in this room. I think we probably all understand (laughs) What debt is, and I would venture to say that most of us in this room are in debt <laughs> in some way. If you have a mortgage, you know, if you have a car payment, anything like that, that's debt, right? What debt is means that you owe someone else for something that they've given you. It's, it's a debt. You have to repay it. So that's what debt is. So when Paul says, uh, we'll get into the next section here, he says in verse 14, I'm debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. so as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome at Rome also. So now I'm going to disagree on this with some of the commentators. It's not a huge disagreement, but I read John Gill, I read Barnhouse on Romans. It's a four volume set on Romans. I read what he had to say about Paul being a debtor, uh, read some other things and I really disagree with most of the commentators, there were a couple that kind of have the same view I do. but So most of them take the easy way out, in my opinion, and they say, well, why is Paul calling himself a debtor? Well, God's grace that was given to him, you know, he owes God a lot because of the grace that's been given him. So because he owes God so much, he needs to serve God and use his spiritual gifts and and go out. And so he's repaying God for the grace that was given to him. That's kind of what you would be saying, right? Now, they didn't say it that way. They just say, That Paul, because of all the grace given to him, he was serving God. And that's why he called himself a debtor. But if you read the language, he says, I'm a debtor to God and to the Greeks and the barbarians. That's not what he says. He says, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. I'm a debtor to the wise and to the unwise. He never mentions God. Why? Because grace is not a debt that we repay. Did you know that? If it is, it's no more grace. Grace. If if we're doing what we're doing to repay God for what he's done for us, then we're sadly mistaken because that's not going to work. It's never going to work. You cannot repay God for grace. Grace is something that is given without merit, and you can't repay it. It's just there's no way you can. You don't have the ability to do that. So, Paul, when I I think what Paul's saying here is not that he's a debtor to God, but that he's a debtor to all people because the gospel has been given to him and therefore it's my debt to then pass it on to others. And when he says the Greeks and the barbarians, you just kind of have to know that in the Greek world, the Roman and Greek world, they split the entire world, all humanity into two groups, Greeks and everybody else. (laughs) And the word for everybody else was barbarians. So we Greeks and Romans who shared a language, by the way, they, they shared the same language. They shared a lot of the same philosophies and Philosophers and all of that kind of stuff Roman culture was very much derived from Greek culture so we're the educated um, smart, good civilized people of the world everybody else is the barbarians so when Paul says I'm a debtor to the Greeks and to the barbarians he's really saying to everybody so go back up to his mission statement what did he say in his mission statement that I am I've received grace and apostleship for the obedience of faith to the faith of all nations, right? So Paul says, who am I going to preach the gospel to? Just the Greeks, or just the Jews, or just one little group of people, or the people that I think deserve it, or the people that look like me, or the people that have the right economic status? Who am I going to preach the gospel to? Paul says, I'm going to preach it to all. I'm a debtor to all that I might go and preach the gospel to them. So that's the debt that I believe He's speaking about both to the Greeks and the barbarians. And then he just kind of reiterates that by saying both to the wise and the unwise. So if you didn't understand him the first time, he gets it with the second, both to those who are uh, learned and those who are not, those who understand language and those who don't. In his day, a lot of the population couldn't read, right? Right? They didn't. Some of them couldn't understand Greek. Some of them couldn't understand certain languages. So to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome. And then there's a really important word on the end of that, also. So Paul says my debt is that I go and I preach the gospel to all peoples. And I want to come and preach it to you also. So that is the debt that Paul owed. The gospel of grace, you see... This is really interesting here. He says, go back to verse 14. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. So then the question pops up, and I think it's important for us to cover before we close. And we're going to close with this, kind of a shorter message this morning. Maybe nobody will have a problem with that. But... (laughs) Why would Paul want to go and preach the gospel to Romans who are already believers? So you say, okay, let me think about that one for a minute. So why would we want to go? Why would Paul, as an apostle, why wouldn't he want to go somewhere else up into Europe and and preach the gospel where no one had heard the gospel? So why would you preach the gospel to those who were already believers? Well, it's because of this statement. The gospel of grace, I love this, is a quote. The gospel of grace both converts and the gospel of grace sanctifies. So there's there's two purposes in the gospel there. It converts and it sanctifies. Now, I don't want to get in too deep of a dive on this this morning. It's one of my favorite subjects, and you all know that. So I'm going to really try hard not to get in a deep dive on this. But people accuse us a lot, and, and they say that we believe this, but we really don't, that we believe in gospel regeneration. I've never believed in that. Not one time. I don't know personally of anybody that we fellowship with that believes that at all. So we don't believe that the gospel brings spiritual life. What we do believe is that the gospel converts and that that's really important. So, so now that's where I differ from some primitive Baptists. I'll just be blunt and honest about it. I believe that that's really important, that you're converted. So, so I believe that the gospel doesn't give spiritual life but some would say, well, it really is irrelevant from that point on. So God gives spiritual life and regeneration, and what happens from that point on, like Brother Jeff preached us the other day, is really just irrelevant. That just has to do with your timely salvation. Well, I don't think that's true. I think that the, the gospel is clear, that, the, that this book of Romans is clear, that faith is really important, and that faith in the gospel comes through the preaching of the gospel. That doesn't give spiritual life, but it converts. So that 's one way that the Gospel is used, and Paul was used in that way many times, so that's what, this is what that is that 's when Paul went somewhere and they had not heard the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and Paul preached the gospel, and people were converted to the truth, and we say, "Amen," and we want to see that in our day too. I'd I, I long to see more of that, that we would see men and women converted to the truth through the preaching of the gospel that 's very important, but that 's not the only thing that the gospel does. So we said the gospel of grace both converts and the gospel of grace sanctifies. So what does sanctification mean? It just means to be set apart, to grow in holiness. So the process of sanctification begins when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, and it doesn't end in this life. You know, that's the, that's kind of the bad news a little bit. Um, if we designed it, we would love to just be conformed to the image of Christ all at once and get it over with and be done and no more sin, and I'll re- live the rest of my life in perfection, but that's not the way it is. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. We are being, sanct- the work of sanctification is ongoing in our life. Now, there's really kind of two ways to look at sanctification. It's a little bit complicated, but there's positional sanctification, which means that when I, when I became a believer in Jesus Christ, positionally I was set apart, and that's done. That's, that's already happened, and it's done, and, and I'm set apart. I'm different. So my, my relationship with God has been restored. My positional sanctification is done, but experiential sanctification is ongoing. That's in my life. As I go through and, and I hear the gospel preached, I become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. That's what Paul is interested in in Rome. Paul wants to come, and he wants the gospel to have a sanctifying effect on the Romans. He wants them to be more conformed to the image of Christ. He wants them to have a more perfect knowledge of the gospel itself and of the truth and the doctrine of the sovereign grace. That's what Paul is after. So when Paul says he's a debtor, he's a debtor to go and preach to all peoples about this this gospel of grace that both converts and sanctifies people to service to God. That's what Paul's after. So, remember, we said his, his mission statement was to bring about the obedience <coughs> of faith. And I think even in that, you can, you can take that in two ways. Number one, the obedience of faith to the gospel. Which, by the way, you know, I said a minute ago, I'll back it up with some scripture. If we don't think that obedience to the gospel is important, go read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Just read the chapter. Because in that, he, says that, that he said, you need to be comforted with us. That, that, hey, this thing's not over yet, okay? Christ is coming back, and he's coming in flaming fire to take vengeance on them that know not God, that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you think it's pretty serious? Does that sound serious to you? It sounds serious to me, that he's coming in flaming fire to take vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in, when we say the obedience of faith, in, in one sense, that's what we mean, obedience to the gospel. In other words, faith in Christ that you are converted to the truth. Another way that we can mean about obedience of faith is that you and I as believers become more obedient to the faith in our daily lives. That In a daily, in, in an everyday way, we are living out our faith in that we are obedient to the commands that God has given us. That's the obedience of faith. It takes faith then to be obedient to those commands. And And we must, that's not something we can come up with our own like we said. We're not talking about faith that we come up with on our own. This is all through grace. So when Paul says, when he talks about his mission as an apostle, that he would, he's about the obedience to the faith of all nations for the glory of his name, that's what he means in, in both senses, that people would be obedient to the gospel and those who are obedient to the gospel would continue to be obedient to those things that God has required of us in his word, that we would unpack it. This is what we do every Sunday when we come here and meet. Hopefully, what we do is that one of our ministers comes up and they open the Word of God and they explain it and they expound it. It's not our thoughts, it's God's thoughts through his scripture, and by that we all grow and we become more like Jesus Christ. That's that's the obedience of faith that Paul is talking about here with the Romans. Now, I had a decision to make and, and I really wanted to include 16 and 17 in this message but it's too important, and I knew I would run out of time, and I didn't want to run out of time on that. So we're gonna, that's going to be the message for today, and when we come back next time, we'll talk about verse 16 and 17 where Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation, and we'll start to unpack that a little bit about this message that Paul continues to, to tell us in Romans 1 about the gospel. I hope those things have been a blessing to you today.